Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome back to Find Your Hum with me, Kirsty. This is episode seven and today I'm joined by nutritionist Nina Kingford-Smith. Now, I am sitting by a canal today. It is absolutely gorgeous. Hopefully you can hear a little bit of that in the background and some wind in the trees and it's not too annoying but it's actually really nice it's so nice to be sat out here okay now surprisingly I actually didn't meet Nina until our last year of studying at Endeavour which is quite strange because our campus really is not that big Um, but being a foodie like myself we did quickly find that we had quite a bit in common and I mean like seriously is there anything better to bond over than food I mean maybe cocktails would definitely be up there but I mean food is a good one in this episode Nina chats everything disordered eating it's a topic that I believe is so much more prevalent than most people realize and this is not about your like quote typical eating disorders such as anorexia or bulimia This really involves like your relationship with food, your view on food, and most importantly, the relationship with yourself. Now, if this chat does bring up anything for you, I will have links in the show notes to some great resources. And of course, you can always reach out to either Nina or myself. Nina really opens up about her experience with disordered eating in this episode. I think you will find many parts of her story will resonate with you. Talking to Nina really made me realize my own disordered eating patterns, not just now, but habits that I had definitely gotten into in the past. I'm sure many people, and yes, I'm including you guys in this one, could say that they have definitely had periods of experienced disordered eating. For me, it was about calorie counting and exercising to look a certain way. It was, and if I'm completely honest, still is, about using food for comfort. I've had to follow strict diet protocols in the past, mainly for my gut, and I can tell you it's definitely resulted in some times when I was scared to eat certain foods and go out to places or even have dinner at my parents' house in case of flare-ups with my digestion and my skin. This chat has definitely highlighted um, that this is something we all experience, and like Nina so rightly put it, just because it's common doesn't make it okay. It really does take away from some of the happiness that we should be experiencing in our lives when we are enjoying our food. Nina gives us a great wrap up on what we can do on an individual basis to change perceptions of body image and what it means to have a quote healthy life. We also dig into some disordered eating behaviors, what can be classified as disordered eating, some misconception. And we definitely look at how you can change your relationship with food. I would love my audience to know a little bit more about my guests. So tell me what it was like where you grew up. 
Um, so I grew up in a beautiful little suburb in Sydney, just typical suburban Sydney, um, with my mum, my dad, my older sister. She's four years older than me and sort of a collection of various pets throughout my childhood. Um, and, yeah, I'm really lucky to have had just such an amazing upbringing. Um, I guess sort of typical in the sense of, you know, family, lots of love there. Like we all got along well, lots of play. You know, we had some really lovely neighbours. Um, other than that, some of my fondest childhood memories are actually spending holidays at my grandparents' place. So they lived in this small town called Exeter in the Southern Highlands. I think there were about 200 people who lived in the town and, you know, would go there and do things like making fairy gardens and there was a tree house and would go on bushwalks and I'd bake with my grandma. So, yeah, just a really sort of happy, quintessential sort of childhood, which was really lovely. That sounds beautiful. I love a fairy yeah. garden. <laughs> yes, yeah, me too. <laughs> and then what was Nina like as a teenager? You know what? That's a really good question. I've, I think I was, I was a pretty quiet teenager, um, yep. sort of in my shell a lot, probably looking back on it quite unsure of myself and sort of uncomfortable in standing out from the crowd, which I think a lot of teenagers are like that anyway. Um, and also pretty studious. I, I really enjoyed school. Um, what was your favourite subject? Oh, I always loved, I wasn't such a fan of maths and science and things like that. I really loved like history and art and English, those sorts of ones, sort of Isn't where it? you could get to be a bit more creative, I think. Yeah, it's so interesting because like I did, I didn't mind maths, but science was just one of those subjects I just did not gel with. And then no. we both ended up doing health science. I know, right? It was a bit <laughs> of a struggle at uni, I'm not going to lie, getting back yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really Um, good. And so, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. What else was Nina like as a teen? I think that was, that was pretty much me like throughout high school. And then I guess more around 18, 19, much more of your typical 18 year old, like I tested the boundaries a bit more with, you know, going out clubbing, having lots of fun out with your friends, you know, all that sort of, I guess, fun partying kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, But, you know, all, all pretty, I guess, tame in the big scheme of things, nothing too crazy there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I think pretty typical teen. Nice. So how did you end up as a nutritionist? Um, look, to be honest, my initial decision to study nutrition was based around my own hang-ups around my body and food. Not that I was aware of it at the time, but looking back on it now, I can recognise that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I thought the more I knew about food, the more I could manipulate my own eating and my body to look a certain way, basically. Um, you know, I'd do things like I would weigh myself daily, I would weigh my food, I'd count calories, I'd keep a food diary, so like an actual hard copy food diary and then using a calorie counting app as well. Um, I track how much exercise I did. I'll avoid going out with friends because I'd be scared there was nothing like quote-unquote healthy I could eat, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think I, I wanted to get into nutrition to be more in control of those sorts of things. Um, but then just slowly through being at uni, learning more about just how amazing and magical the human body is and how like every single cell in your body all the time, all at once is for you to be like alive and happy and just working so hard for that to happen. 
Um, and same with learning and realizing about how magical and healing and nourishing foods are like this realizing that there's so much more to it than just the amount of calories in a food. Um, it was just so sort of like this natural slow healing of my relationship around that. And I guess a newfound respect for it. Um, also some really great mentors as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I think I went off on a little bit of a tangent there. No, absolutely. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's how I originally got into it. Um, and then cause um, growing up, I also, also had quite a I was naturally surrounded by like the natural health world I guess you could say my mum is a herbalist mm-hmm. and my dad previously studied massage and nutrition I think um, he doesn't practice it anymore but he did study that and so you know it was very normal for me to grow up with a little taking a bottle of herbs all the time and always having like different supplements and natural remedies in the house and like some old like you know, if you got sick and mum would make up like a little potion to give me to make me feel better and all that sort of stuff. So I was always sort of surrounded by that as well, but I was never really interested in it for my own career until I sort of naturally had this sort of, I guess, discovered it for myself, you could say. I suppose no one actually wants to do what their parents do either. It's almost no, like, especially no. as a teenager, you kind of rebel against that yeah, a little bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I definitely did that and I never had an interest in it for myself. I just sort of took it for granted. Um, but then, yeah, definitely discovered it my own way. Yeah. I love what you said about, and how you put it, like the magic of our bodies and yeah. what it does with food. Like, I think that was probably one of the biggest kind of aha moments for me studying nutrition is that the body really does just want you to be well. Like it does everything to fight for your survival mm-hmm. and mm-hmm it knows what to do with real food. Like if you put yeah. quote unquote, and I don't love giving things labels, but you know, yeah. anything that you can grow off a tree or a bush or, you know, grow in the ground or kill like those kind of things that aren't made in yeah. a factory, um, yeah. your body yeah. just, you give that to your body and it actually knows what to do with it. Yeah. It's just, honestly, it's, it's so magical, isn't it? It's just, I, I keep using that word, but it really is to me. It's yeah. magical. It's yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty At- cool. Yeah, and I suppose it's when you do the biochemistry of it that you actually realise everything that has to take place for it to happen. It is, yeah. like you said, it is definitely um, quite magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Now you touched on your own path with disordered eating. Can I ask yeah. you a few more questions around that? Yeah, um, for sure. First up, how did you get to the point of, you know, calorie counting? And then how did you start to recognise that maybe that was a bit of a problem for you and then sort of how have have you managed it since Mm. it's a really good question getting to the point of that stage um I naturally have a very perfectionist sort of um personality and I have always even though I said before I didn't really like maths I've always loved numbers so Mm -hmm. like for example I remember as a kid asking my mum what the time was before I could look at the time like before I could read the clock myself I could tell if she was rounding up the time, like if she, if it was like 23 past and she would say it's 20 past, I could tell that and I'd be like, no, the exact time. Like I wanted to know exact numbers. Yep. So I think it was quite easy for me to get caught up in numbers um, with things. And I, you know, way back when I was probably about 
19 maybe at the time um and i thought i was living a reasonably again quote unquote healthy lifestyle um but i was hung up about my weight and i wanted to lose weight so i started to see a nutritionist um and she was an amazing woman but she just had a very different approach to the way i practice nutrition now she did sort of emphasize portion control and talk about calories. She introduced me to my fitness pal and all that sort of stuff. And I grabbed it all and I ran with it and I did it to the extreme. And just very slowly, I got more progressively obsessed about it. Um, and again, about my, uh, my weight, I went out and bought scales. I started weighing myself every day or twice a day. And it was just this really sort of, I guess, snowball effect with that regard and you know at the time i was so caught up in it that i honestly i didn't realize i didn't think there was anything wrong with doing it i was just sort of oblivious to how deep down that rabbit hole i had gotten and i don't think it was until i started to come out on the other side and for me i am very grateful it was quite natural where i started to sort of come out of it that i looked back and i was like oh wow like i was doing those things mm -hmm. um, some of it was a very conscious effort to stop. Like it was a very big and scary thing for me to stop using my fitness pal and to stop weighing my food and to get rid of my scales and stuff like that. They were quite big daunting things for me, but I got to the point where I just thought I, I have to do this. Like it's having such a negative impact on so many aspects of my life. Like I just can't keep going this way. Um, also some things I did naturally stop doing um, for quite some time. I think I was quite orthorexic. Um, and for anybody listening who's not familiar with that term, it's sort of like a newly recognised and acknowledged type of eating disorder where it's a really obsession with the quality of the food you eat rather than the quantity. It's being really obsessive about only eating, um, like, again, how we love, like we don't like to use labels, but like quote unquote clean um, sort of foods and making sure that you don't need anything processed at all and all that sort of stuff. So I, I got really hung up on that. And I think that's where I, I naturally managed to come out of that myself. Um, like I remember one night going to the chocolate and getting, oh, sorry, going to the cupboard and getting a piece of lint dark chocolate and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I'm so naughty. Like I haven't eaten a piece of chocolate in, I think it was like a year or a year and a half. And it, I just, it was this massive realization that I had been that strict on myself that I hadn't allowed myself to eat some chocolate in like over a year. It was, yeah. So I guess it was yeah a mix of like this naturally coming out of it in some ways, but then also making a very conscious effort in other ways, knowing that I just needed to to do it and all of that kind of happened whilst you were studying yeah yep yeah, that was pretty much right in the middle of the degree i reckon yeah probably in the first two years of studying all of that was sort of unfolding yeah i think a lot of people will be able to relate to that and not yeah. just women like i find nowadays like especially working in this space it is definitely becoming a lot more prevalent for um like young guys and even mm -hmm. as they get into their twenties about, you know, weighing themselves and mm -hmm. thinking about food in such yeah. yeah, a technical 
numbery style of way. I mean, like yeah. I myself have done that where, you know, you'd weigh yourself every week and put all your stuff into my fitness pal. I don't think there'd be many of us that could mm-hmm. put our hands up and say that we haven't done it. So it's quite common, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's incredibly common. And I think that's one of the really, really sad things about it. Just because it's common doesn't mean that it's okay. Like yeah. it doesn't mean that it's something that we shouldn't try to work on. Cause I think we all deserve to live happier lives in that and having habits like that doesn't allow you to live a completely happy life. No, because chocolate definitely does make you live a happy life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can't eat chocolate. <laughs> Especially dark lint. Oh God. Yeah. So good. <laughs> okay. So what do you think are the biggest misconceptions around disordered eating? Um, oh, I think there are so many. One of the really big ones, like if you, if I ask you to think of somebody with an eating disorder, the image that's conjured in your mind and the image that pops up in a lot of people's minds is probably a young, thin, white female. Um, it's just the generally accepted sort of stereotype. And you probably think of her as having anorexia or bulimia where, where she's basically not eating enough, like really restricting her food or vomiting after eating. But the reality is that there's so much more to it than that. Um, you can't tell if someone has an eating disorder just by looking at them to start with eating disorders and disordered eating as well, which I can get to the difference between those in a second. Um, it impacts people in all bodies, in all sizes. You don't have to be underweight to be classed as having an eating disorder and definitely not to experience disordered eating. Um, just like we were saying, then it impacts men as well. Um, I was recently reading some population studies and they estimated that about 25% of people with anorexia are male and about um, 40% of people with binge eating disorder are males. Um, And it's definitely an increasing demographic as well. Uh, Whether that's more men are experiencing it or that more men are um, coming forward and talking about it, I'm not too sure. But yeah, there is a significant portion of um, men there. Um, it also impacts people of all you know races and cultures and religions it's not exclusive to one particular race Um, and it impacts people of all ages it doesn't just impact young people Um, you know for example binge eating disorder actually most typically starts around middle age Um, so I find that quite interesting too Um, I think and I think I sort of touched on this just a second ago but um, eating disorders and disordered eating spans across so much more than just anorexia or bulimia. Um, It's, I think sort of some people think, oh, you know, my eating's only an issue if I have a fully diagnosed eating disorder. Um, But it comes in so many different shapes and forms. A lot of the signs and symptoms aren't as obvious as severely restricting your food intake or, you know, like self-induced vomiting. There are many, many other types of eating disorders. Um, binge eating disorder, which um, I just mentioned. Um, orthorexia, which we talked about. There is one called night feeding syndrome. I th- I'm pretty sure that's the term for it. Um, there's lots and lots of different ones. Um, uh, there's, you know, there's even one called diabulimia, which is related to people with type 1 diabetes and how they use insulin. 
um, to control their weight. Um, and then, of course, there's disordered eating behaviours. And so that might be someone doesn't necessarily have a diagnosed eating disorder, but they exhibit a lot of disordered eating behaviours. And that could be anything from like having various rules around food. So, you know, like, oh, I don't eat carbs after 7pm or um, like I only eat one serve of fats a day or I don't eat sugar, all those sorts of things. Um, chronic or repeated dieting, um, other compensatory behaviours. So we often think of vomiting, but exercise and laxative abuse and all those sorts of things um, and many, many more. But there's, yeah, there's so much more to disordered eating and eating disorders than just that really sort of stereotypical image of it. And I think probably the last sort of main misconception is that in general that eating disorders, you know, oh, they're not serious. It's just about food and looks like you can just stop if you want it. Someone's choice to have an eating disorder. That is definitely not the case. They're incredibly complex and serious mental health conditions. Um, they, you know, the mortality rate for eating disorders is the highest of all psychiatric illnesses. Um, it's a really, really high mortality rate, which I find really sad. Um, and it's about far more than just food and body image. You know, there's often, very often, a history of trauma. Um, it could be around about control, um, perfectionism. It could be a coping mechanism for things like anxiety and depression. Um, you know, you can't just sort of snap out of it. It, it is very complex um, and it's something that we need to take more seriously because it is very widespread in, um, in our society, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, um, that what you were saying about like that need for like perfectionism and control. Mm. Cause I was actually watching mm. the transcendence, um, series that's out on, um, food matters TV at the moment. It's amazing. Oh, okay. If you haven't seen it, go and watch yeah. it. The first one was so good. Um, uh, it was more about like food and movement. And the second one's more about the emotional and mental side of, um, oh, health. Really? So oh. absolutely. Like just is um, yeah amazing for me, (laughs) Um, but um, on the emotional one of it, it was saying that we often put up shields basically to stop people poking at our wounds or for us to be able to like show our wounds because obviously you don't want to do that because it is quite scary. And one of those ones is that perfectionism piece is definitely like a shield that a lot of people hold up and they soothe then that wound inside them by I suppose almost becoming like addictive in a bit of a way so you know that's not necessarily um, with food like people can do with other things but definitely food so whether or not like you said back to that binge eating where they may be you know eating their feelings but also that perfection and that control in terms of being able to soothe with I suppose, how do I put this, like controlling what they're putting in their body because it makes them feel better about themselves is also what they look out to the world. So there's sort of that perfectionism from both angles. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, it just kind of made me think about that as you were Mm. talking about that. And I'm like, oh, that's a whole other layer. (laughs) Yeah, it is, isn't it? Like, And that's the thing. There are just so many layers. Um, It's kind of like that analogy of peeling back an onion. Like there's just layer after layer after layer. It's 
That's really interesting. I'll definitely have to have a, um, a watch of that episode for sure. Yeah. They um, always do say with things like this, so generally it's not like you, people know that, especially I suppose this is definitely more worth both with binge eating, but like, you know, that, you know, smashing a packet of Tim Tams, people know, they know deep down that's not good for them. Like quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, having a whole packet. Um, mm-hmm. Like I don't think anyone would sort of tell you that is definitely God enjoy one. Um, but it's never really about the food. Like it's not about the no. packet of Tim Tams. It's usually something else that's going on, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, exactly what you said. It, it's never about the food that is often, yeah, it's a coping mechanism and, you know, it comfort food, you, like you could use the term comfort food. It's called comfort food for a reason. It mm-hmm. provides us with comfort and there are times like human beings need to be comforted. There are times in our lives when we need to be comforted. And if food is going to provide that comfort for you, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when you solely rely on food for comfort and you aren't able to seek that comfort in other things like human connection, um, relationships, other sort of self-care practices, whether that be taking a bath, you know, dancing around your room, screaming into a pillow, journaling, could be anything and everything. But if you just solely rely on one thing, um, you're not giving all those other wonderful things a chance. and I guess it comes back to that thing about putting everything into perspective and everything in life being about balance. It's, it's being over-reliant on one thing, one aspect of your life, in this case food, and not giving space to other things that can help as well. Um, and I think that's often where it can be an issue as, as well. It's not so much that using food for comfort is bad, um, because I don't think it is, but only seeking comfort through food can be where there can be issues for people. And they miss out, yeah, on all those other things. Yeah, and that's the exact reason why, you know, we call ourselves holistic nutritionists because mm-hmm. it's not just about the food. It's always exactly. something else going on. Exactly. It's exactly it. <laughs> um, how do you work with people when they come to see you then when they have like – disordered eating or an eating disorder because they are definitely different like you've explained like yeah. what kind of things do you do and look for yeah um so i i guess like we just said holistic um i work through various lenses um predominantly i work through what's called a non-diet framework so basically instead of telling somebody to subscribe to a particular way of eating um or to follow some set of external rules or external knowledge i help educate them and empower them to listen to their own internal cues about what's best for their body um you know one of the awesome things about this world is that we're all incredibly unique and incredibly different we all have different taste preferences we have different cultural backgrounds we have different genetic makeups um different um, life experiences different work circumstances all sorts of things which are going to impact the fact that we eat differently to one another and the way we enjoy eating is different to one another and what works for our body is different for one another so rather than subscribing to some sort of external framework about how you should eat and following some sort of diet 
I help people listen inwards and listen to their bodies and figure out what's best for them. Um, so it's often a process of trial and error. It's a process of sort of seeing it as a fun experiment and getting to discover what you like and what your body likes um, and really finding a sense of sort of empowerment through that. Um, which again, I'll use that word I find is quite magical. It's where, you know, the true healing can really start to occur. Um, and then also with working through a non-diet sort of lens, it supports self-esteem and body acceptance. I, I don't work with weight loss. Um, I work more through shifting the focus away from weight loss to not how does your body look, it's how does your body feel, like your energy levels and your digestion and your hormones, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and working on body acceptance through that way instead. Um, you work to make them find their hum. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> yes. You said it perfectly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it allows for a lot more flexibility. Um, you know, there's space in there for definitely work um, teachings around intuitive and mindful eating a lot more freedom with food. So breaking down those food rules and rituals that a lot of people have and just giving this unconditional permission to eat all different foods um, to find what feels most nourishing for them and to really promote that mind-body connection. So sort of when I mentioned internal cues before, an example of that would be like your hunger and fullness cues and what does hunger actually feel like to you? What does fullness feel like to you? Um, identifying the difference between emotional and physical hunger because um, there is a difference there and you know saying okay well if I'm emotionally hungry how can I feel that how can I feed those emotions right now um, I think that is such a big one and probably yeah. like I definitely am an emotional eater binge eater mm. have been in the past absolutely and mm. I think oh my goodness what you've just said there like that was the biggest kind of aha moment is learning the difference between those two things and then yeah what can I do to fill that emotional hunger that doesn't involve eating yeah exactly exactly because sometimes you know you if it is an emotional hunger food won't necessarily fill that void um and you'll still be seeking whatever it was that you were seeking before whether that is you know like we mentioned before comfort or um connection um you know if you're stressed, um, some sort of calmness, you know, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's an important one. Um, but yeah, then I guess how else I work with people definitely also addressing, not just looking at, you know, things around food and their relationship with food. Um, so on that, you know, I say it's not just what you eat, but it's how you eat, it's your thoughts, your feelings, your behaviors around food but then also around other aspects of life. So reframing exercise, which I find a lot of people who struggle with disordered eating, their relationship with exercise can also be quite, um, can be struggling as well. Um, it can be quite rigid and unflexible, inflexible and inflexible, unflexible, inflexible, I think. <laughs> inflexible? Yeah, inflexible. <laughs> they both sounded actually quite good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but sort of reframing that as, you know, finding joyful movement. Now, what does your body feel best doing with moving? You know, it might be some really gentle yin yoga. Um, it might be going for a walk or maybe you do really love going for runs. Maybe you prefer to dance around your house. Maybe like a kickboxing class. 
maybe you just like going for a gentle swim in the ocean, you know, exploring different ways of finding joyful movement um, and, you know, looking at things like sleep and all of that holistic stuff. Um, And then with disordered eating, often there are coexisting health concerns. So most likely that will be stress and anxiety, but then definitely also various um, nutritional deficiencies, um, gut issues, often hormonal issues as well. So also addressing that from a pure sort of health aspect. Yeah, it does cover a lot of stuff. I suppose like most of um, any kind of condition or disorder, eating disorders and conditions are no different in terms of the body is so connected. So you can't really just focus on one area. It definitely has ongoing effects into all of our body. Yeah, 100% really does. So if somebody, um, you know, thinks that maybe either they themselves may have it or, you know, maybe looking at um, people around them, if they're concerned about somebody that maybe has disordered eating, what mm-hmm. kind of things should they be looking for to know maybe is that them or is, yeah. 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 Um, it's a good question. I'd start with um, sort of a lot of the thoughts and behaviours that can pop up. Um, so like first and foremost, a fixation on food and body image and exercise. Like how, if it's, if you're listening to this and you're wondering if this relates to you, how much of your time do you spend thinking about food? Um, or your body or exercise um, can be a really, really good gauge. And if it's the majority of the time, I would say definitely there is something there to work with. Um, Chronic or repeated dieting, so cycling through, you know, paleo, keto, 5-2, low-fat, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but jumping from one to the next. Um, Even the language you use around food and the way you think about it, like, good foods and bad foods, um, cheat days, um, guilty pleasures um, and denying yourself of certain foods because you are fearful about the impact that they're going to have on your body and whether that is, you know, weight gain or wanting to manipulate um, that gain muscle and, you know, those sorts of things. Um, And those other sorts of food rules I mentioned before, so that could be counting calories, um, not eating after a certain time at night time, restricting food in general, which will most often and pretty much always lead to overeating later on because restriction does then, it's like a pendulum. If you restrict something, it's going to swing the other way. You're going to go into that sort of overfeeding state at some stage because it's what your body is doing as a survival mechanism. It's in starvation mode. It needs food. It will sort of override everything else to make sure that happens. Um, Another really big sign can be like anxiety around eating out in social situations. So this is definitely one that happened to me. Um, And so you might avoid going to friends' birthdays or just general social gatherings. You might, get really really anxious if you can't see something on a menu that you deem as like safe or healthy enough to eat those sorts of things for if you're looking out for a loved one as well um are they disappearing after they eat like making frequent trips 
trips to the bathroom can often be um, a significant sign, especially for bulimia, if they are um, making themselves throw up after eating. Um, and just that general sort of social isolation. Um, then there are definitely other uh, like physical signs. So the most common physical sort of complaint is gut problems, whether that be like cramps or bloating or constipation. Um, dehydration can be a really big one as well if there is self-induced vomiting or laxative abuse. And so that might manifest as like um, heart palpitations, dizziness, um, low blood pressure. So, you know, often if you're sitting for a long time and you stand up and you get dizzy, which is called orthostatic hypertension. Um, and there are many causes for that, but one of them can be dehydration. Um, a, quite a unique physical sign is what's called lanugo. I think that's how you pronounce it. And that's when the body produces an excess layer of body hair. Sort of, you know, when you see babies and they're kind of a bit hairy, I no, guess, yep, yep. when they're first born. Yeah. And so that's literally your body trying to protect itself from the cold. So if you don't have enough body fat or really low body fat, it grows this excess layer of hair to try and keep you warm enough. And there are other little signs like um, calluses on your knuckles from vomiting. So that can be another telltale sign if you're looking out for a loved one or um, it's glands around your jawline, which is called the parotid gland, and they can be quite swollen, sort of like this chipmunk appearance. And that can be from vomiting all the time as well because they become swollen and same with dental issues. Um, and then I suppose some other ones would be if somebody is wearing baggy clothes all the time, like excessively to try and hide themselves or to stay warm because of the, of just being quite severely underweight. Um, and if you notice that they do engage in, so there are food rules, which I mentioned, but also food rituals. So, you know, if you're eating with someone and you notice that they're not, the amount of food on their plate isn't really getting smaller. They're just moving their food around on the plate or cutting food into tiny pieces, um, even chewing food and spitting it out. Those sorts of things are really telltale signs as well. Um, yeah, I think I, there, there's so much to there it, is. but um, they're definitely some of the key ones, I would say. Yeah, that's a really good list too for both people. So like you can sort of navigate yourself, but also... You know, looking out for loved ones as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It was interesting though when you said about looking at it for say like muscle gain or something like that because there definitely would be mm -hmm. people out there that um, would want to like change their physiques and not necessarily yep. in a bad way but because, you know, yep. it could be healthier for them to gain a little bit more muscle and stuff like that. How yep. do you, how would you navigate having difference between having goals and being able mm -hmm. to meet them and then trying to make that not turn into disordered eating because like it's okay yeah. to I suppose have a goal and you know change your eating up and be a little bit more conscious of what you're eating to achieve mm -hmm. a good health outcome versus mm -hmm. doing it to punish isn't it mm -hmm. yeah um I think it, it really comes down to the question of why why are you doing it um, you know, for example, are you doing it because you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't like how you look because 
you know, say if we're talking about a, let's give an example of a 19-year-old male and he thinks he's too skinny and he wants to gain muscle. He looks in the mirror and he thinks, I'm too skinny, I'm not manly enough, I need to be more like the men in the magazines and people like Chris Hemsworth and stuff like that. Yeah. Or is he doing That's it? That's a um, very good um, example too because yes. yeah. I would want to look. I would want to have Chris Hemsworth near me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's very big and muscly. Yes. Um, so, you know, that sort of thought process or is this young 19-year-old male wanting to do it because he doesn't have much energy and he, he just wants to have more energy and be able to go through his days better? And so, you know, what, what is your why? Really getting down to what is your why um, and understanding that and being truthful with yourself about that, being really, really honest, which can be hard to do, but really, really getting to the core of, of that, of your motivation. Um, and another big thing I would say is flexibility. So how flexible are you with your eating habits and around exercise as well? If you, uh, if, if, if it's this young man and he's wanting to gain muscle and he's training daily and there's a day where he feels like he's coming down with a cold, does he ignore that and push through because he's like, no, I, you know, I have to get my training session in today um, and maybe he has an injury and he's still pushing through and exercising despite the messages that his body is sending him um, or is he able to listen to that and take however much time off he needs and be okay with that and not experience increased stress and anxiety around it for fear of, you know, lack of progress and that sort of thing. Um, and then same with eating. Um, so is there rigidity and inflexibility around eating? Um, so one day he might forget to take his homemade lunch to work, which could be some lovely pre-prepared, whatever it might be. Um, and the only option he has is getting some food from a food court. Is there this big sort of panic and anxiety around that thinking, oh, I don't know how many calories are in this. There's too much oil for me. I would never eat this sort of food. Um, I'm going to have to not eat dinner to, you know, to counteract the effects of this meal that I'm about to have, or I just won't eat at all, that sort of thing. Or is it, no, that's okay. That's fine. You know? these things happen, I'll just grab something and it'll do, my body will be fine with it. Um, so it's, it's really looking around those sorts of thought processes and that piece around flexibility and adaptability because we're human beings, we have many things going on in our lives, you can't control anything all the time, including food, and I don't think it's healthy or wise to try and do that. Um, and there is so much more to food than just the physical effect it's going to have on your body food is about joy and connection and love and you know are you going to deny yourself a piece of birthday cake at a loved one celebration because of these goals that you're trying to achieve or are you going to have it and you're going to enjoy it and be part of that um that experience because it's what you want to do um so it's really looking at that that bigger picture i think it really does come down to that thought process doesn't it behind mm -hmm. it yeah yeah and often that's where only you can answer that only the person experiencing it can answer that and and it really does come down to to being brutally honest with yourself 
Mm, that was a really good answer. Thank you. Mm, pleasure. <laughs> um, and why do you think disordered eating is increasing in the community? Because like I know I'm definitely seeing more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I look. I think every single client I have seen um, definitely has experienced it to some degree. I think you know. To be honest, it would be hard pressed to find a person who doesn't have some sort of symptoms of disordered eating. Um, and I think that that is largely thanks to our society these days. Um, Despite there being a wider representation of bodies and things in the media these days, I think the thin ideal, which is, you know, this desire and this idealisation of thin, slim bodies is as rampant as ever, um, as is body shaming, you know, thanks to things like online bullying um, and weight stigmatisation. So the amount of stigma that people in... um, overweight or obese bodies experience um that all conjures up so many body image issues and you know a key way to that people think that they can control their body image is through the foods that they eat um so you know that that kind of goes hand in hand um there's a lot of shame these days and guilt around the food that we eat um you know you scroll through social media and you see other people eating these perfectly curated meals and you think i don't eat that way i need to start eating like that or you walk past a magazine you know at the news agency and it's about um, beyonce or j-lo's latest diet and you think oh i'll you know i'll start eating that way to look like her um you know social media influences posting about ridiculous weight loss teas and i think it was kim kardashian that posted about some sort of weight loss lollipops or something a year or two ago something ridiculous like that yeah um unqualified people touting advice on social media is a massive bugbear of mine Um, (laughs) you know they they've demonizing things like um you know god love him people like pete evans really, really demonising things like grains um, because he really subscribes to a paleo way of eating. Um, you know, sometimes these people are really well-meaning. Um, they don't, then I don't think any of them are really deliberately trying to make you fearful of food, but that is the consequence of voicing opinions like that out there. Um, when you have these young, impressionable, often young, impressionable people reading it and thinking that they can then manipulate that information to apply it to their own eating and their own bodies um it's just crazy like there's there was a study done in fiji i think it's called the fiji study in like the late 1990s where western tv was introduced into society like they started airing western tv shows and it saw like an immediate increase in eating disorders i think the rate was pretty much zero before that for eating disorders in Fiji and it skyrocketed to about 11% over about a three-year period. Um, And, you know, if that's not the perfect example of how media can influence body image and eating issues, I don't know what is. Um, We have a pretty big responsibility too, don't we, as nutritionists? Because we are, it's very easy for us to put on these you know, I mean, I do it myself. Like, this is what I've got for lunch and stuff today. And it's, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. lovely, you know, vegetables with like a piece of salmon and, um, yeah, maybe some sweet potato and stuff on the side. Like, whatever it is that I'm eating at the time, 
Mm-hmm. But it's also very important to then show the times when, you know, we are quote unquote not perfect. Um, exactly. And it's allowed to be like, you know, you are allowed to have that cocktail with your girlfriends and, mm-hmm. you know, that piece of chocolate or, you know, if it, you eat half a block, like it don't bash yourself up about it because like you said, it's exactly. those, the thoughts that do the more damage. And like I said, have mm-hmm. a piece of cake and mm-hmm. yeah, as nutritionists, we really need to, we have a responsibility to, to show people that, um, that is okay. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. I mean, my Instagram is very much the same. Um, and I am, I do have more awareness around that now and I am trying to show, you know, all aspects of my eating or, you know, not that I feel like you know, everybody's so interested in what I eat yeah. all the time, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, not just showing the salads, but showing the chocolate and the the cake and whatever it is um, and having a much more rounded sort of approach to it. But exactly as you said, nutritionists and health professionals in general have a really big responsibility. And I do think that a lot of, issues that people do have around eating can often come from health professionals unfortunately um you know like overdiagnosis of food intolerances or more so telling people to cut out certain food groups unnecessarily when there isn't a medical basis for that um that happened to me personally i was told to cut out you know things like gluten and dairy and stuff when there was no need for me to do that um and so i didn't eat them for years and i became incredibly fearful of them um and created all these rules around not having those sorts of things in my diet for no reason other than than fear and because i was told to and that's um, where tapping into that like you said right back at the beginning about what your body actually wants yeah. but you have to get honest with yourself like you mm-hmm. may not tolerate gluten but it, yeah. Or is it just something that someone's told you you shouldn't tolerate? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, even if you're not tolerating it, you know, for example, you get bloated and gassy after you have some bread, is that actually an intolerance or is it because you're so stressed and have so much anxious around eating, quote-unquote, a carb, which is supposedly bad for you, and that like there's so much stress in your body while you're eating that your body's not able to digest it properly. And so that is actually causing the issues with digestion, not the food itself. Um, I think that has a lot to answer for a lot of issues as well. Um, so yeah, it can, it can be incredibly complex. And without using the word treat, because um, we don't, it is, it's so hard to find other ways to say things that people is, like will yeah. understand, but like for instance, yeah. I like personally now, I think just because I've eaten um, such a whole food way for quite a while now, that like, mm-hmm. you know, I can't really sit down and eat a lot of lollies or stuff like that now. And my body just doesn't really love it. And I think that's also yeah. um, a telling sign that, you know, that's not what my body needs either. And exactly. Has yeah. that reaction. So it's again, understanding that, but it doesn't mean that you can't quote unquote treat yourself. Cause like, I mean, yeah. we both have made some really delicious, like, oh, my God, like your ginger nut cookies on your oh, website are, like, <laughs> amazing. And so, like, oh, well, thank you have to go without. Like, I love no. ginger nut cookies. And exactly. having one of them in a cup of tea, like, it seriously, like, I'm going to use the words, but it, like, makes me hum. Like, I love sitting outside <laughs> and dunking my biscuit in. Like, it's just the such simple things. But you don't yeah. have to go without. But it's also... Yeah, not about necessarily always eating, you know, heavily processed things. That, uh, that is 
not good for your body either. So it's really, it takes a while, but it's really understanding your body, your thoughts and those cues Mm -hmm. that it gives you, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Listening into what will make your body hum um, (laughs) and what will make it feel good. And, you know, that's going to be different, not only between person to person, but on a day-to-day basis as well. Yeah, Um, that's a big one. Like for whatever reason, and it could be, something easily explained like um where you're at in your cycle if you're a woman or being sick like with a cold or something like that where your appetite changes or it could just be because that's just what you feel like that day where one day you might want to eat a big massive bowl of pasta and that's what your body really really needs um and that's awesome yeah, and that's great. Perfectly okay. You feel good. <laughs> yep. And you get up and you walk away and you feel really energized and nourished and satisfied. And then the next day you might think about a bowl of pasta and go, no, not for me today. I just really want a piece of salmon and some potato instead. That's what's going to really make me feel really happy right now. And so that's what you have instead. And, you know, one day it might be like, oh, you know, I'm actually really not that hungry. I just want that tea and that ginger nut biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's listening into that and knowing that it's always going to be changing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's such a nice way to eat too. And it's like with most things, like it is a marathon, not a sprint to get to these places because, yes. I mean, like both of us have had different journeys and it doesn't happen overnight. Like it takes no, a while to be able to understand your body again and to, yeah, really love yeah. it. Yeah, and look, like I'm not going to pretend like I've got it all perfect now. There are still days where I definitely struggle. It's a constant and ongoing thing. And, you know, if you think about your relationship with any human being on this planet, like, you know, like your mum, your dad, your sister, your best friend, your neighbour, whatever it is, they all require continual effort, right? You don't just talk to one person one time or give someone a hug one time and that's all you ever need to do in that relationship. It's a constant caring for it. And so why would your relationship with your body or your relationship with food or your relationship with yourself be any different? It requires constant care and commitment and, yeah, always being, yeah, putting that effort in to care for it um, and nourish it and let it grow. it's, 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 it's a constant, it's lifelong. Um, so I think that there needs to be awareness around that too. Um, and that it is okay to have days where you struggle more because that's part of the human experience. That is like the perfect place to end. Like yeah. you just summed it up perfectly there. Sorry, I'm not going to, I will ask the final questions, but before I do, is there anything yeah. else on um, disordered eating that you wanted to um, say before we wrapped up um yeah look, there is one piece I'm sort of thinking about what we were saying before with a lot of the reason that disordered eating is increasing is because of um what's going on in our society on that note I think there are so many things that we can do as a society and on an individual level to help um so if anybody's going to walk away with what they can do from this if you feel motivated to help make a change start with yourself Um, set a positive example check in with your own habits your own language around food your beliefs your assumptions um, about you know do you look at somebody else on the street and judge them purely based on how they look and their weight 
um, check in with those sorts of things and become more self-aware and start to reframe a lot of that. Um, and please, if you relate to anything that's been said in this, reach out for support and for help. Um, and, you know, consider, like, like I said, the language you use around food and think about not that, how that's just impacting you, but the people around you. Like, do you use things, words like good and bad in relation to food around little ones in your life? Um, do you comment on your own body um, and say, you know, I'm so fat and, you know, pull at your, your, your tummy or your shake your thighs or, you know, whatever it is um, and do those sorts of things around other people. Um, and consider a big one is to consider your exposure to, to social media. So Instagram's a pretty good place to start because it's what we're most on these days, but just unfollow anybody who doesn't make you feel good and happy. Um, anybody who's really sort of supporting the diet industry and those really rigid ideals, um, just unfollow them. Don't have them in your life. You don't need them. Um, and the last one I'd say is educate yourself um, on just being a bit more of a critical observer of the media and challenging assumptions that, you know, thin equals healthy or that thin equals attractive. Um, if you're interested, educate yourself a little bit more on eating disorders and things like weight stigmatization. There's a, I wouldn't call it a movement, but um, something called HAZE, which stands for health at every size, um, which I think is really worth looking into. Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of things that we can do on an individual basis to really help start to change a lot of what's going on in this realm. Um, and I think that's really important and quite empowering as well. Yeah. The yeah. small changes that we make ourselves really do ripple yeah. out, don't they? Massive, massive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my final two questions, <laughs> how do you sustain, strengthen and nurture your life? Ooh, it's such a juicy question. Um, there are lots of things. Um, you know, I think some of the more obvious ones, like being surrounded by my friends and my family. Um, I know you love sort of astrology. And so I'll say like my moon is in cancer. So my home <laughs> is very much my sanctuary. Being yep. around my, my loved ones is very much really, really nourishing for me. Um, I get a lot of, of yeah, strength from that. Um, and actually, I suppose the best way to put it is what I actually often talk to my clients about is creating what I call a self-care toolkit. So it's kind of like you've got all these little metaphorical tools in your toolkit um, and you pull whatever one out whenever you want it um, to use as a form of self-care really. Um, so I guess that's, I use those sorts of tools. Um, and so I've got all sorts of things in my toolkit and it's been growing a lot more recently, which has been fun, but some big ones for me is journaling. I do really enjoy journaling and setting intentions each month. Um, so there's sort of little affirmations that I have each month to remind myself of. Um, I find that really, really helpful. Um, I'm very much an introvert as well. So having time and space to myself just to do nothing and to ground is really important for me um also being in the kitchen i you know not only do i love what food can do for us but i really really love creating food as well i find it really quite meditative my brain just switches off i 
cook really intuitively. I get all my creative juices out. I just, I love, yeah, I love being in the kitchen. I feel like you probably relate with that yeah, one. Absolutely yeah, absolutely relate. Yeah. And it's nice being able <laughs> yeah. to make food for other people too. Like it's, yes. I don't know, it's like oh, yeah. so lovely to be able to, yeah. yeah, I don't know, pour your love into a dish and then be able to serve mm-hmm. it up to people that you mm-hmm. love. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to express love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's awesome. Um, other things, I think definitely lately I've been developing a bit more of a spiritual practice. So if that's, you know, journaling or have been doing, I'm, I will admit I'm not great at meditation, but I've been doing a bit more of that lately and really enjoying it. Um, those sorts of things. And I've actually started to really enjoy doing yin yoga as well, just more gentle forms of movement. Um, like I was talking about before, finding more forms of movement that you enjoy. Um, and I've been experimenting with that more lately. I've realised, yeah, I love yin yoga and and walking quite a bit. So being out in nature and walking, I find really, really nourishing. It sounds like so, we have yeah. very similar toolkits. <laughs> yes, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what are you currently doing in your life at the moment that is allowing you to find your hum? Um, I think other than those things I just mentioned, cause a lot of those have been sort of recent discoveries. Um, but you know, despite all the craziness that's going on in the world at the moment on a very individual level, having more time and space at the moment, just to do less, I have personally found very beneficial. Um, I've been using a lot of that time to learn more about disordered eating and eating disorders myself. Um, and that really does, it does make me hum. It, it makes me really, it's what I'm just really, really passionate about. Um, it makes me really, really, um, I guess, inspired. Um, I really enjoy it. So definitely that. Um, we recently adopted a little doggy. His name's Leroy. <laughs> We've had him for just over two weeks and he is like the love of my life at the moment. So it's only been two he, weeks. It feels like he's been on your Instagram page yeah, for much longer than that. I now. know, right? <laughs> no, just over two weeks. Um, and I've, I've realised that he, or I guess dogs and animals in general, they just bring you into the present so much more. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than being off in your head, you stop and you sit with them and you just focus on them and how cute they are. Um so yeah, he, he's definitely been a source of happiness at the moment. Um, another really random one that I've, I've really been enjoying is um, dancing. I'm not much of a dancer typically, but there is a, um, a guy on Instagram. I think his Instagram handle is MKIK808, I think. Um, and he used to be like a backup dancer for Lady Gaga or something, but he hosts live dance parties on Instagram and they're just so much fun. You get on there, you dance along to him with all sorts of different party tunes. And I found that a really fun way to just sort of get in touch with your senses a bit more, really get into your body, enjoy moving it, listen to the music. Um, and just I just finish up that feeling so, so happy with a big smile on my face. So that's a really random one. But it takes you back to 19-year-old Nita when she was out hitting yeah. clubs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Such a nice place to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is that is definitely God's fun. I would definitely recommend checking him out if, if you think that might be your kind of thing. Yeah, I'll um get his exact handle off you too and I'll pop it in the show notes. So if yeah. people do want to um dance along with you and 
yeah probably thousands or millions of other people they absolutely can (laughs) yeah definitely definitely i love it (laughs) okay and where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you yeah um so my main one would probably be my instagram which is healthy happenings with nina um other than that and you know you can just message me through that that's super easy to do um also my website which is just ninakingsfordsmith.com.au um, and I've got all sorts of different blogs and recipes on there as well um, I'm also over on Facebook and I think that one is healthy happenings with Nina Kingsford Smith so they're all a little bit different um, I'll put yeah, them all much, in the show notes as well yeah, it's yeah, super I can, easy for I can people send them all to you but any of those reaching out to me that way or just checking out what I do on there yeah probably the best way to do it Cool. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat with me. This has been so lovely. Thank you. No, I've really, really loved it. Really enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. I'm sure the um, listeners have gotten some great tips around that and also such lovely advice just to really tune in and listen to themselves, which we don't often get told to do. It's been lovely. Thank you. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. I hope, um, yeah, I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it.